0: This is the Garden Path Podcast. Hi, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Misty Little. It has been a few weeks. I know my family and I had escaped to Arkansas to enjoy some spring ephemerals, some things that we don't normally see. And with a return back home, this episode release was delayed about a week. So thanks for bearing with me if you're waiting for the podcast. I am excited to have another returning guest to the podcast this month. And she joins a new guest whose photography I have fallen in love with. Caitlin Atkinson and Jennifer Jewell are set to release Under Western Skies, visionary gardens from the Rockies to the Pacific Coast in mid-May. This collaborative project, dreamed up and planned by Caitlin, hosts Caitlin as a photographer and Jennifer as the writer of this gorgeous book, which showcases gardens throughout the American West. It was a pleasure to talk to Caitlin and Jennifer about their work together on this book, some of the gardens chronicled in the book, and I know that even if you don't live in the American West, you will find a lot of inspiration and delight in Under Western Skies. Now, on to the conversation with Caitlin and Jennifer. All right. Well, thank you guys both for wanting to come on the podcast and talk. If, ever since I found out about uh, this book, it has been on my radar and I had the chance to preview it, and it is just gorgeous. And I kind of want to start with maybe a brief background on both of you. I know most people are probably pretty familiar with you, Jennifer, but Folks may not know uh, who you are, Caitlin. So maybe just a brief uh, introduction of who you are, your focus in the gardening world, and and kind of a little bit about your work.
1: So maybe if you're going to start with you, Caitlin. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm mostly a photographer of gardens and landscape architecture, and I grew up in a small town in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, and I am in California, based in California, and. I primarily work for architects or designers and then magazines. And I've photographed a few other books. The last one was dry gardens, high style for low water gardens with, Rizzoli in 2018 with Daniel Nolan, who wrote the book and conceived of the concept. And then prior to that, I worked on Designing with Palms, which Timber Press released in 2018. And I did that with Jason DeWeese, who's a quarter culturalist and palm expert. And then um, I did a book on Air Plants, The Curious World of Tillandsias, with Zenaida Sango in 2014 and I've photographed and wrote a book called plant craft, um, 30 nature-based projects for your home with timber in 2016. And then, you know, I also photographed for magazines and a bunch of other stuff, but mostly photography.
0: Okay. Okay. And is that, is that what you went to graduate school for or yeah. how did you kind of lean into that?
1: No, I, I went to art school. I went to the California College of Arts. At the time, it was called the California College of Arts and Crafts, but it's since dropped the crafts. And that's uh, in the Bay Area. It has a campus in Oakland and a campus in San Francisco. So I've, I, I studied photography, but they're, they're more of an art-based education. So their focus is on art as opposed to um, some schools are – technically oriented. Not that they didn't have like technical classes. You learned like the zone system and stuff like that. But primarily their interest was in creating art and showing your art in galleries, which I did for a while, um a long time ago. When I was still assisting photographers, I was also pursuing an arts career. And I had a gallery in New York and did oh, wow. group shows and you know, had little write-ups in the New York Times and stuff like that. But I've since switched and kind of focused on gardens because I actually really love it.
0: Sounds good. It sounds very exciting. And and, uh, having a gallery to sounds pretty amazing. I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, And how about you, Jennifer? Maybe, I mean, like I said, a lot of people are probably very familiar with you, but you've been uh, very busy in life lately. What's up with your background a little bit and
2: uh, what's on your plate uh, besides this new book? Well, it's just, first of all, really great to be back here with you, Misty, and talking with the Garden Path podcast. And Um, I'm really excited about the new book, Under Western Skies, which was the um, concept of Caitlin's. And she and Timber Press invited me to be the writer uh, for the narratives of the gardens in the West, visionary gardens from the the Rockies to the Pacific. And it was just a great adventure and um, exploration of some fantastic gardens, really at the intersection of kind of environmentalism, sustainability, place-based gardening, and uh, and their own personal passions, each of these gardeners. So it's really right in my wheelhouse of the things I'm most interested in on my podcast, Cultivating Place, and between, you know, still talking quite a bit about. The Earth in Her Hands, which published in early 2020, and then the upcoming publication of Under Western Skies and Cultivating Place every week. I'm 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 full time, so so that's about that. yeah. <laughs> that And my own garden slowly waking up in the spring, so um, that is a good full serving of garden life that I am really just you know every day especially in 2020 right I just every day it's a privilege to do what I do and um, be able to engage with gardeners around the world which I I know you know doing what you do Misty. Yes
0: yes exactly.
2: Caitlin you mentioned
0: a whole slew of different different books you have worked on including you know books that you conceived of yourself, books you assisted with in the photography so how did you decide and come up with Under Western Skies? How how was the idea born and, and why did you want to create the book?
1: Yeah, I just, I, I really wanted to share my love of the West and what I considered my home. And I, because I mostly photograph for other people, often the gardens are kind of created, they're designed, I and mean, they're beautiful, but they're usually designed for people and then created for them, and it's kind of all happens at once. And they aren't sort of those um, gardens that people build over years, and they 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 work on in in their own time and and just create because they love to garden. And so I really wanted to kind of focus on gardens of all sizes, but gardens that really captured the feeling of the gardeners that build them over time and just the kind of magic behind people caring for the spot in which they live. And um, I, I just feel really connected to the West and have always lived here. And even when I travel to other parts of the West, I still feel at home. And so it was that sort of feeling of, of home that I wanted to capture. Now, did you have
0: any, is there another book out there that gave you the inspiration or was it, like you said, just being traveling and seeing the gardens and wanting to capture that, that feeling of home that, that
1: made you do this? I just felt like there wasn't a book exactly on this. And that's sort of why I thought it was a worthwhile project because with books, there's such a, such a big project. I feel like you have to really want to do them and be really inspired to create them and to spend the time on it. So it has to be something you really feel passionate about. And so it's just something and something that wasn't already out there. It's not like there, you know, there are a lot of books on, on different parts of the country, but I I don't actually feel like there's a book that kind of covers the West as a whole and is out there right now. Right. Right. Now, how, now, from that beginning of that idea, how long from idea to publishing, how long was it? It's it's almost always about two years for a book. Um, it's usually a year in production. They usually give you a year and then the publisher usually takes a year to produce the book in terms of their um, design and edit and then actual printing. Okay. Okay. Now,
0: you mentioned, so you've got Jennifer involved. Now, was Jennifer who you wanted to help assist in the narrative in the beginning, or was that coordination with Timber Press? How did that come about?
1: Yeah, well, I, so I pitched the book to Timber, and they were super excited about the idea. And then we were just looking for someone who would be a good fit in terms of um, actually telling the story that I wanted to tell. And and that they would also be happy with. And um, they had proposed a few people and uh, some of them are weren't, I was not very excited about. And I was really excited at the idea of Jennifer working with me because I believe she kind of shares a similar vision in right. terms of what the book was going to be. Right.
0: Now, Jennifer, I mean, you had just gotten done finishing writing your own book. Were you excited to have another book you know, basically fall into your lap when you were asked to do this? (laughs) How did, how did that feel for you?
2: Um, well, I, I was, uh, I was a little hesitant and I think, um, Stacy Lawrence, who is our acquiring editor at Timber Press was maybe a little gentle about asking me because I was just gearing up for, um, you know, the, the, like the end of editing the earth in her hands and getting it out the door and doing the publicity for that so I think she was not sure I would take it on but I have uh followed Caitlin for a long time and I interviewed her uh for one of her books at least I think I've interviewed her for maybe two of her books and um and I love her photography and so when Stacy, I mean Stacy, was really gentle she was like well you know, I just keep thinking about you as I'm reading this this one proposal I have and I think, oh, it's too bad you just finished this book. So she was kind of like fishing, you know. and um, But the minute she told me about it and Caitlin sent off her um, first proposal uh, that she had submitted to timber and I saw this just really holistic vision she had for these gardens that she had experienced. You know, so it, it sounds like it's a two-year process, but in fact... You know, Caitlin has been working on this visually for years in yeah. her photography and so had this really just wholehearted, to use that term, vision for the gardens she wanted to include and and what importance they held in modeling to the rest of the garden community. Um, you know, what What she and I both believe are really exemplary gardens in terms of addressing some of the challenges in our world right now, whether that's, you know, community or environment. And from environment, I mean, you know, watersheds and view sheds and habitat corridors and habitat fragmentation and, and just human engagement. I mean, these these are, for the most part, real hands-in-the-dirt gardeners. And for the very few that, I can't even think of one, can you, Caitlin, that doesn't actually have their hands in the dirt, even if they, um, you know, aren't, they, they're they not the only one caring for the garden. They're really all gardeners.
1: Yeah, I yeah. We included a few that were actually designed by landscape architects or designers but they were definitely in partnership with the person and that was one of the criteria that unless it was a public garden which I think we really wanted to include because I think there's such important um, important elements in our society and a way that people can experience not only education but also experience the space of a garden if they don't have their own space but other than that um, most of the gardens if they were not fully created by the individuals living there they the people who lived there were a huge part of mm-hmm. the day-to-day gardening and part of the creation in terms of what they really wanted in their own vision.
2: Yeah right yeah so they're really really hands-on and um, so you know and it's in the west so I have you know I was I was born and raised at 8,000 feet in Colorado and have family and or have lived in, you know, Idaho, Washington, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. I've never lived in Texas, but um, it just, it, it felt like a great kind of home ground for me and to uh, be able to bring what I love about the U.S. West as a model for other Gardeners, no matter where you live, uh, about what is possible with a garden, Um, reintegrating in your place or in your community. That just felt like a really powerful opportunity, and I I was in right away. I did. It took no convincing. I said, Yeah, I'll make it work because (laughs) this is an important topic, and you know, accompanied by Caitlin's just stellar and really like insightful photography. One of the things I say about photographers in the earth in her hands is they teach us how to see and they reframe for us as viewers what is beautiful and Caitlin's work just is really an example of of the very best of this kind of garden photography and it it you know it raises the the level of visual Uh, literacy and raises the level of what we expect as beautiful in our world. And that beauty is not harmful. And it is uh, fully interdependent with the world around it. And I just, I love that as a message.
0: Well, you know, Jennifer, you just went down a list of the places you've lived in in the West. And you mentioned you hadn't lived in Texas, but I was really excited to see a few gardens in Texas yeah. featured because <laughs> I think we get it's such a big state, it gets uh, lost in the shuffle. Is it the South? Mm. Is it West? Is it the Plains? What is it? And mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, te- so you had a few gardens from Texas, but was it just intuitive to break it down by the regions that you did? Um, it, they were kind of like the inner mountain West. You had the Pacific Northwest. California gets its own section because I mean, it's California. <laughs> how, how did that come about? Other than just generally showcasing, you know, here's some gardens out west.
2: Well, um, I'll let Caitlin speak to this primarily, but, uh, you know, I think we were vaguely trying to go in climate zones. And, and that's, you know, vaguely because you were talking about some big territory here. Mm-hmm. You know, Texas, as you said, you know, is every single climate, except for maybe very high alpine um, it has every other climate you can think of. Same with California. So it, it took a little while for us to come to the final designation of of how to organize the book. But I, but Caitlin had that view in her head. And so, you know, that it's the Southwest. And in fact, California isn't one section, but two. So Southern California and Northern California. Right. And then the Pacific Northwest and the Intermountain West. And I think your point, Misty, about... Um, you know, Texas or certainly parts of Texas getting short shrift in the garden world and what it thinks of as good gardens is true of so much of the West. I mean, you say the term Northern California and people think of, you know, San Francisco and Monterey or San Francisco and Marin, or they do not think of interior Northern California grass valley. They don't think of, you know, Eastern Idaho or Eastern Washington. And so that was really important for us to have a broader representation than we normally see in the garden uh, publications of where good gardens are happening. Right.
0: So Caitlin, uh, you've obviously photographed so many gardens over your, your career, how did you determine what gardens you wanted to cover and how did you, you know, coordinate with the gardens and the gardeners themselves? Was it, you said you worked on this for, you know, one year basically, and then another year getting it turned around, but you must have had uh, maybe a catalog of photographs already from some of these gardens. How did that, all of this come together?
1: No, well, I had photographs from maybe one garden that we included, Um, but so it was a little bit rushed because I had proposed it in winter, which is like a slower time for me work-wise, and so I have time to, you know, work on things like ideas and what, you know, book concepts, and so I had proposed it in winter, but it hadn't really been finalized until March, Uh, and so Um, so what happened is it's not, I didn't have all the gardens. I, I knew some gardeners and gardens that I really was excited about, but I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know everywhere I wanted to photograph. And what happened is, you know, once it turns to spring, um, you need to start photographing. And so, so what, so what I, I did is I, Enlisted Jennifer's help, and then we enlisted help of anybody we knew that might be able to, you know, point us in the right direction in terms of finding these spaces. And what I primarily did um, was I actually just kind of, you know, because certain certain gardens have peak seasons, so essentially I just followed the seasons. So for the Southwest, parts of it are are later because you get. Later monsoon rains, like in Marfa, Texas, it's it's a later in the year kind of garden. But in in Arizona, that that was the first spot I went. So I headed to Arizona um, early, and then I just kind of circled through Southern California, which is is next, and so. In terms of how the book was organized as Southwest, it's not all the same, but I did really, really want to include Texas, and um, Stacy agreed to let us have West Texas in because <laughs> uh, it's, she said it's part of the West. Um, but, but essentially, I was just following the season. So then I went to Southern California, and then moved up towards Northern California, and also then jumped over to. Certain parts of the northwest and inner mountain west have a bit of an earlier season, but mostly those are a little bit later because they continue to get rain. Whereas southern California and parts of the Southwest are completely dry after spring, and so they have a great, gorgeous spring. So it kind of it kind of happened incredibly fast, and it was kind of just like, okay, where am I going next? And um, we and you know, coordinating it while I was on the go, sort of. And, and I have Jennifer to thank for a lot of the gorgeous spaces we ended up with. Um, but so I definitely had some in mind, but I didn't have all of them in place at all. So that leads me to my next question, because you're having to coordinate with the
0: bloom times, but how long are you taking at each garden? Are you able to spend a couple of days there or are you like <laughs> spending an afternoon getting a photo, sh- a photo shoot yeah. and, and then driving six hours to the next garden? So.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Like. <laughs> so normally in most gardens, it's best to shoot at dawn or dusk. So I would often spend, you know, like if, if I'm shooting at dusk, it's usually you can get there, you know, at four o'clock and, kind of walk the garden and kind of feel the space and actually talk to the homeowner and, um, you know, whatever they talk to you about what they're doing in the garden and, and whatever they want to tell you, which is interesting and also it kind of helps you see the garden through their eyes and what they are interested in and emphasizing. And so then I would photograph, you know, I, I would kind of just mess around in the garden kind of like set up shots and not necessarily um, not necessarily take real pictures but kind of just get a sense of the space and then photograph until sunset or just after and then if you if you shoot at dawn it's a little more tricky if you haven't been to a garden because you it's just faster and you don't have a sense of the space before the light comes up so you're kind of you arrive in the dark and it's a little bit it's a Often you have a little less time in the morning, but some sites are actually better in the morning. And sometimes it just worked out that way. And I usually ask somebody like when they think the light is best. Usually if somebody lives there, they'll know like, you know, what the light is doing at their house and yeah. in their garden. Because a lot of gardeners get up early and and are outside for a lot of the day. So. Um, yeah, so it's usually a few hours. And although there were a couple of spaces that I actually stayed there because the homeowner, you know, allowed me to. And in those instances, I was able to capture an evening and a morning, but almost all of them are a few hours. Now, does it feel like you're does it feel too rushed sometimes in this
0: kind of project situation? Do you feel like you don't get a chance to really know the garden or, I mean, or are you really getting to immerse yourself in those, in those time periods?
1: No. Yeah. No, you really, I mean, you really get to know a garden and you get to know it in such a different way than if you visit a garden because, because you really have an understanding of spatially how it works and like, and also just because you're focusing on, the relationship between everything you you really I, I don't know I feel like it's like when you travel for work you really get to know a city in a different way it's kind of and I feel like you almost get to know it better when you're working in a city as opposed to if you're just visiting it because you really get to know like the city it's the same thing with the garden you really get okay. to know it kind of um, yeah so I feel like it's enough time I mean obviously it's it would be lovely to have you know, <laughs> yeah. full days in his face, but in terms of, um, time and what, uh, what I had to do, I, I didn't have that luxury. Right. Right. Well, so and Jennifer, on your end,
0: a little bit about the writing now, I don't I'm guessing you weren't able to traipse around to these gardens in person as Caitlin was. So how did you, how were you able to put together the narratives to go along with these gardens? Were you conducting interviews, you know, on Skype or the phone? Or was it more like an email correspondence? I'm just curious because I'm, generally just how all of these books come together when you have a
2: writer and a photographer, just how
0: that works.
2: Well, it was. It actually turned out to be a really beautiful partnership, uh, where Caitlin was the eyes, um, and I saw. Mm, I have seen in person a handful of them, maybe ten. I think we have a total of thirty-nine or forty, and um, and I think I've seen about ten. But I, there were very few places that I wasn't familiar. Except Marfa, Texas, that I wasn't familiar with the general region, and so that helped. But I will say, um, just to kind of supplement what Caitlin was talking about, she was on the road for such a long time, and it is rugged, hard work. The schedule she was keeping um, to get to these gardens, and it was it was a phenomenal like power power journey for, I don't know what, yeah, like 18 months and getting, getting these photographs and, um, chatting and coordinating with all of these gardeners. So she would, we would sort of settle on a garden and she would figure out her, her photograph time. And as soon as she had the photographs, she would get them to me. Uh, sometimes I would be interviewing a gardener, uh, by, you know, in a variety of ways, which I'll tell you about, before I could see the pictures. But then once I had the interview done, and I had seen Caitlin's pictures, and then sometimes I would have to call Caitlin and say, you know, describe what it was like to drive up, or what, you know, or or I would write something, and Caitlin would call me and say, Actually, when you drive in it looks more like this or you know this is to your left. so the orientation was something we were working on quite a bit. but you know by and large, as we all know, gardeners are insanely generous people so I phoned with them, I emailed with them, I uh, you know had zoom conversations that i I recorded and then took notes from. And then I had quite a bit of back and forth with each gardener over the draft uh, that I came up with for their garden. So it was a, it was a, you know, probably four or five uh, part process writing each of these narratives. And, and one of the things that was really important from both of our sides was uh, that we gave a context for each garden in the place they lived. So what the watershed was, what the geology was, what the natural history was over time, what some of the cultural history was. And of course, you can only do so much of this. And so, you know, I think, which will just make anybody that knows me laugh, uh, that we were contracted to turn in 30,000 words and I turned in 90,000 words. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Because it just was really interesting to me this sort of three-part story that every garden is which is you know the kind of natural history and then the personal history and then the cultural input when you when you bring all three of those things together you know those are all narratives that are in anyone's garden. Some of them might be more developed than others you know so one person's natural history in their garden might be really well developed but their cultural history is is not or you know one of them might be stronger but all gardens have all three of those in some fashion and so that was a really fun way to kind of have organizing themes around each of the uh the interviews with the gardens and then putting that together with the photographs was um, was really just a a fun interweaving. So, yeah.
0: So did you have any moments of, uh, like, you know, missing out, wishing you were with Caitlin doing all of this in person as well? Oh, heck yeah.
2: (laughs) I, I, next time we're going to ask for a lot more money in advance. And so that we have full travel budget, but, um, you know, and, and, A lot of this you know I was finishing up some of it in in COVID times so it you know it it is what it is but uh, yeah I and I hope you know one of my goals is that I'm able to visit every one of the gardens in person um, over the next couple of years with the book out so um, yeah it would be nice but I same time, you know, there's something a lot less sustainable about both of us, you know, driving or getting on a plane. And so it worked well as a partnership to have, you know, the two sides come together that way. Right, right. Caitlin, <laughs> Jennifer mentioned that, you know, you're
0: basically having this, you know, very hectic on the road lifestyle. But when you're visiting these gardens and, and meeting with the gardeners, did you have any just interesting stories that the gardeners are telling you? Um, do you, is there anything off the top of your head? I'm just imagining, you know, you're going up to a garden and as gardeners are want to do, they're, you know, really interested in telling you about certain plants or, you know, maybe you came home with some cuttings or anything like that. Is there any, any cool stories on the side you might want to share?
1: Um, well, I, I think all the gardeners have great stories and sometimes people aren't necessarily huge talkers if they're gardeners, but I, I, I loved hearing everything from like how people composted to, you know, how a plant, you know, often plants are passed from a friend or a relative. I love the, all those little bits that you wouldn't necessarily know just looking at photos or even visiting a garden, but actually talking to somebody. But I, there's not like a, one story that is is a standout I just think that everybody's personal experiences is, is really fun to actually get a taste of um, okay um so I guess to go off of that maybe a little bit is uh, you
0: as you're traveling was there a certain region that maybe you fell in love with or and then you went to the next region and you're like oh, how could I love that region I love this region so much <laughs> I, I'm just imagining one garden after another you're just I don't know falling in love with
1: yeah, I mean that they're all every everywhere everywhere I went was was pretty amazing. It it does kind of make you think, "Oh, I could live here. I could live there." I you know, so everywhere is especially when you're visiting at the ideal time of year, you know, like you're going to Santa Fe and it's like Perfect out, and it feels like it'll always be perfect. Or you're go, you know, you're in Arizona and it's it's not too hot and everything's like blooming and it's gorgeous. So I feel like I loved every every spot I went. Um, I I am probably the least tied to the Northwest just because it can get in some parts. There's a, just a little bit too much rain for me. But other than that, I think and I still like it. I just don't necessarily wanna live in it. Right. Um, but other than that, like yeah, everywhere everywhere I went was pretty pretty epic.
0: Now, maybe you can highlight some of your favorite gardens. Was there any one in particular that really stood out to you that the either the time invested in creating the garden or I don't know, maybe you could envision, envision yourself moving in. I mean, for both of you guys, is there something that just really one of the gardens that just really stood out that you loved?
1: Jennifer, do you want to take this first?
2: Sure. Uh, No, Uh, because I, I, I did exactly what you just described that each one I would, I would interview them and they would tell me a personal story like, you know, their their children's climbing tree or where they buried their pet or, you know, when they got this plant or the feeling. Um, I remember speaking with a gardener in Santa Fe and her describing, like, standing at the crest of her her hillside in the evening as the light goes down and feeling the presence of all the people who would ever have walked on this land over time. And so for each one, I would interview them and be like, oh, this one's my favorite. And then every set of photographs that Caitlin would send me, I'd be like, oh, this one is the most beautiful. But what I love, too, about this combination of um, gardens, which Caitlin intimated just a little earlier, is that they are all kinds of gardens. There are small and, you know, small suburban gardens. There are big sort of estate gardens. There are, you know, fully designed gardens by a professional that are cared for, or the the design was given input by the gardener. And then there are these great public gardens, small and large. And so you get a really nice sense of some of the universality of what goes into any garden, as well as this great kind of prism of just, you know, how many different ways a good garden can happen, because there isn't just one way. But the, um, you know, each personal story, I think for me, and in some cases, that was the landscape architect or designer had a personal story about the process in the garden, that really, those are what touched me. So I, I can give you an example of that in there is a wonderful gardener in northern in Sonoma County, uh, Phil Van Solen, and his garden is a small kind of city lot in Sebastopol. And, you know, it's a small town, but it is still a city lot. And it was his girlfriend's garden first. And so he, he lived kind of catty corner from her and would bring plants to her as gifts. And those are incorporated in the garden. And then they began to live together, I think about 15 years ago, maybe. And um, so there's this great sort of timeline of their love story there. And he's also an incredible native plantsman. So he and uh, a partner, Sherry Althaus, were the founders of something called California Flora Nursery, which specializes in California native plants. And they are avid hikers. And he has all kinds of representations of Specifically, manzanitas or Arctostaphylos in his garden. I, I think he has something like, oh, I'm not even going to say the number because I'll get it wrong. But many, many native species are represented in his garden, and it's just this great collection. And um, but then I had uh, we I interviewed uh, this uh, same woman I was speaking of earlier in Santa Fe, uh, which is called the Tano Point Garden, and. That was the one featured in Martha Stewart Living just recently, the March issue. And that landscape architect, uh, Kenneth Francis of surrounding studios there in Santa Fe, did his his all of his undergraduate work and, and master's study on water usage and water rights and historic acequia. Um, systems there in the Santa Fe area. And he was able to bring all of that information of his own personal history and passion to bear on this garden, which is high on a, a sort of ridge line above Santa Fe into the north, where you have these just, you know, millions of year old mountains coming together up above Santa Fe. And you can see the whole, re- um, what is it, uh, which, which is that river? Um, but you can see the whole rivershed going down below them. And so to have those things come together in this one garden, even though it wasn't his garden, um, just felt like such a great story to be able to share forward. I think
0: between both of you, you, you there's just so much that you've digested between all of the gardens and all the lessons that... Uh, the gardeners or the arch- designer architects went through. You could almost get an idea and want to take take off and do a little bit of everything in your own garden. I think there's just I know just me flipping through that book, seeing like I want to do that. I would like to do this. Um, I know it wouldn't work in my garden because of this next X reason. But is that how? Did you guys feel any of that? I don't know, Caitlin, how much of a gardener you are. I think you do some gardening as well. But to me, it would seem overwhelming at times being able to see all these gardens and get so many ideas and basically getting all the energy and vibes from the gardeners <laughs> themselves. And when to absorb all of that, I don't know if that was Ugh.
2: for oh, you. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I finished interviewing Phil Vensel and I'm like, I need every manzanita in my garden. And, and Caitlin is actually an avid gardener and, um, works in two different home gardens. So, um, I don't know if she felt the same way, but I definitely did. And it wasn't really overwhelming so much as um, I kept having to laugh at myself and be like, and then I want all of this kind of rock, and then I want, and then you have to remember that you know, like you are in your own garden, in your own home space, and so I want it to reflect where I live, and but maybe do it in some of the the, the ways, the the adding some of the style or elegance or thoughtfulness that you see in other people's gardens. So it was like being on a two-year garden tour. It was great.
1: Yeah, I I would just. Um further that what Jennifer was saying um, in, in that I, I do garden and I actually am, I'm fairly reserved in terms of how quickly I add things, I, I'm slow. But um, I found everything super inspiring but, but I think part of the point of the book and my sort of like core beliefs that sort of have been solidified during the process of photographing and working on this book is that I want, that I hope that each each gardener can use their own site and their own, you know, whatever rocks they might have in their own area and whatever materials are natural to their area in their garden and whatever plants, you know, kind of taking, taking cues from our own home space and 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 that means something so different when you're in a city right because a yeah. city kind of has doesn't have that reference point unless it's like you can see the mountains from the city most most of a city's influence is really cultural influence and historical influence and who's come before you in that space and how you relate to your neighbors and then you know obviously you can go outside your city and see see what's happening in the natural environments and maybe bring a little of that back to your home space but a lot of times it's a such a different environment and a different relationship to place but but I think for me it's like everything was so inspiring but I think it kind of helped solidify my personal goals of making whatever space I work in really, truly feel like it is of the place. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Great. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. So both of you have books under
0: your belt. You've done collaborative projects before, but did you learn, is there anything you learned about yourselves about working together during this process or uh, about just writing gardening books and, and, and gardens themselves that, that came about from this, this process? For me,
1: working with Jennifer was a little different because in most of the books I've worked on before, I actually have traveled with the writer. So there's a lot more dialogue in the actual space or directly after actually experiencing the space together. So you kind of really... You both sort of know it. And so I, I feel like it was Jennifer was had had a bigger challenge in not actually being able to go to the spaces. But I feel like always in these projects it's always about communication and because everybody is so different in terms of how they work and and you don't even really know what somebody else's expectations are. So it's all about communication and making sure. Like you can understand where somebody's coming from as best as you can. Uh, And then uh, hopefully you're both working towards the same goal, which I think is super important to kind of have have from the onset, like where you're headed and what you're doing. And then giving giving space so that for me, giving space, because obviously Jennifer is telling these stories that are that give so much to the photos because there's no way you can. Say all of the things that need to be said with just photos. So,
2: giving her the space to tell the story. Yeah, the, it was it was such a privilege to to work with. I, I mean, this is only my second book, and so in my first book, I uh, you know w- the photos were submitted or were solicited. There was no partnership with the visual. Aspect and it came out fine, but it was nothing like the gift of working with one, you know, artist's vision and consistency over time. And what what it, you know, I think any collaborative project reminds you that you are uh, you are expanded working in partnership than um, just your own perception of what a space is or looks like, and. And it was just really fun to see these gardens through Caitlin's eyes. Um, And, and again, I I agree totally with Caitlin. It was, we had to learn how to uh, communicate with each other and, and uh, get that smoother and smoother over time. And that was a really uh, powerful process to, to be part of, because again, it makes you think more clearly um, and it makes you articulate as carefully as you can both with the gardeners and then with Caitlin. So it, it requires a lot more vigilance and you can't be as lazy as if you're just working or, or as casual as if you're just working on your own. And it also, you know, it it leaves you with a sense of responsibility that you don't want to let your partner down. And um, I think in some cases, that's a great asset in a, in a collaborative project is you you hold yourself to maybe an even higher standard than you might have otherwise. Right,
0: right. Now, we're recording this a few months before the book comes out, and this is going to air before the book comes out as well. But maybe you can tell about when the book is going to be released and, you know, where people can find the book uh, and purchase it. And I don't know if you have any upcoming speaking tours obviously it's still COVID times but maybe there's gonna be some online interactions yeah there are
2: right caitlin (laughs) (laughs)
0: we're
2: we're definitely working on all of this right now um but the book officially publishes on tuesday may 11th and um you can pre-order it now anywhere you get your books so you know I would definitely encourage anyone who's listening to go to their local independent bookstore and pre-order it it's beautiful and um, lots of fabulous images to go with each story the um, it's of course also available in any of the big online uh, marketplaces Barnes and Noble etc. You can encourage your public library to put it on pre-order so that you can check it out once it gets there. And both Caitlin and I uh, are happy to send you uh, or either Caitlin and I are either of us are happy to send you a signed copy, which is signed by both of us. So you can pre-order at either of our websites, which are uh, CaitlinAtkinsonPhotography.com or
1: just Caitlin Atkinson.
2: CaitlinAtkinson.com and or CultivatingPlace.com. And um, we have a couple of in-person events in Northern California, the first on May 1st and the second on May 9th. But we have a couple of others we're about to announce in the next couple of weeks. Um and then what we're, we are going to have a an online launch event on the publication day itself, but uh, we will have to get you those details shortly, Misty, so that you can <laughs> reinsert them into the, the podcast once you uh, put it out there. Um, we should have details on that by the end of next week, final details, so stay tuned. And... I am speaking for the Garden Conservancy on April 1st. And then definitely go to either of our websites and the calendar, the event spaces in both of those to keep up with what dates might be available in your area, wherever you're listening from. We are hopeful, fingers crossed, everybody, to be part of the Agave Festival in Marfa, Texas this summer. So yeah, which would be really fun. So stay tuned for that also.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Now, maybe I know this is a big project. You guys are just finishing it. You're, you're marketing it, but is there anything already that you're working on behind the scenes? I mean, you may not be able to tell if it's a new, new proposal or anything like that, but is there anything else that you guys are working on?
1: I'm just gearing up for like, you know, a busy spring, summer of photographing gardens. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just plugging away at, uh, at you know, putting my heart into Under Western Skies, and still doing quite a bit of speaking around the Earth in Her Hands, and every week you hear me on Cultivating Place. Yep.
0: <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for for talking about Under Western Skies and for actually creating the book. It is amazing. It is a beautiful book. And Caitlin, I was enamored with so many of the photographs and. Mm wanted to stand in each picture that I you know (laughs) that I loved and wished it was me standing there but I and then Jennifer I mean you bring in your your lyrical writing to to the book as well because it was just amazing to know that you weren't able to to get there but able to still transform and put us into into the scenes as well and I appreciated both of that and I know I know all the gardeners are going to love it as soon as it comes out
2: Oh, thank you very much for having us, Misty. It's been really fun to catch up with you. And we really appreciate uh, appreciate the podcast.
0: That's it for my conversation with Caitlin and Jennifer. In the show notes for the episode, I'll have where you can purchase the book and more information about Caitlin and Jennifer. That's at thegardenpathpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to stay up to date with it, you can subscribe to the podcast newsletter at the podcast website and follow my garden antics on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast. Thanks for listening and happy gardening.